0: Welcome to the Find That Thing podcast, where we find that thing that lights your soul on fire. That thing that you were made for in this world and that just drives you from the inside out and brings you to life. My name is Emma Campbell. I'm a purpose coach, mama, nature-loving, stubbornly optimistic, dorky child at heart. Here, you can expect juicy mindset bites, stories, silliness and seriousness and everything in between, one thing I do promise is to make you smile. I'm here to give you permission to own your true purpose to do what you truly want to do in this world and be the person that you were before the world told you who you should be because it's never been so easy than right now to do what makes your soul shine. So let's soak up some of that awesomeness that this world has to offer and help you find that thing that sets your soul on fire and bring it to life. hello 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 so lovely to be here with you i must admit i'm feeling just a little bit nervous about today's podcast because this is a topic that i never thought i truly never thought that i would be doing a podcast episode on it and you'll find out why as i go through this episode Anxiety is something that has impacted me for many years, uh, probably over a decade now in different little ways. And it used to be something that was so all-consuming and so controlling and something that I felt a lot of shame around. So I never, ever imagined in my deepest dreams (laughs) that I would be sharing my story. And I think this is just testament to how far I've come that I feel really, really excited, excited to share my story because I know that it will help. I know that it will help you if you are dealing with any form of mental illness, whether it's depression, anxiety, whatever, anything that might be oh I don't know driving a little bit of shame or feelings of shame within you and it's been a long time that it's it's taken me to get to this point and I've learned a lot in the process it really has been one of the driving forces behind I guess my personal development journey because I was really at the heart of it wanting to heal myself wanting to get better wanting to wanting to be okay, wanting to feel okay and wanting to feel alive. So here I am. This is the story. And I am first of all going to start with what what anxiety looked like and felt like and the experience was for me, gosh, I guess it started around 10, 10-ish years ago. And what that what the evolution of it looked like over time and then how I got better because I can easily say that back in the day maybe oh got a decade ago it was pretty intense like it would sit up around that sort of like seven or eight out of ten mark uh depending on I guess the time of the day or what was going on but it was pretty up there and now I can very easily say that it, it really doesn't go past a three and generally it's sitting at around that one or two mark depending on what's going on in my life, how much sleep I've had with the newborns and how much coffee I've had and, you know, how, how well I'm taking care of myself. So to go from an eight down to a two is such, such an incredible journey for me and I want to be able to share some of my learnings and my tips of how I moved past it naturally, like without medication, uh, in the hope that you can take some learnings from it and it will help you. So here goes, um, to start with where I first started experiencing it was basically when I first started getting glimpses of it was, yeah, around that nine or ten year mark after a few pretty big events uh, had occurred in my life. In retrospect, I guess they were relatively traumatic. And I, I know that word's quite a trigger word for people. It can be heard as quite a you know serious word. But I guess at the time it was something that triggered a lot of intense emotion in me. And that's all I see the word trauma as is something that invokes some pretty intense feelings that I didn't know how to process at the time what the events were doesn't really matter Uh, and I won't go into detail about those because I don't think that they're helpful but there were some things that happened around 10 years ago and they triggered some some fear and some shame in me so I'll talk a little bit further about shame but Essentially, shame is the silent killer, and it is often the fuel of much mental illness. So in terms of what my first experiences of anxiety sort of started coming up as was the first thing I noticed was I was having trouble maintaining eye contact with people I was really close to which is really interesting, right? I was, I'd feel uncomfortable if people were looking me in the eye. And I didn't know what this meant at the time. I was so confused. I was in a lot of fear. But I started noticing it around the same time I started drinking a lot more. And I even was having these moments of binging on a lot of food then feeling really guilty about that and purging. So there were a few little signs of me trying to manage these emotions that I didn't really understand. And I think my first experience of trying to understand it was I Googled, I Googled can't look people in the eye. What does this mean? And it came up with a forum around anxiety, with this term anxiety. And this wasn't really, like I'd never really heard of this term before. It was like the first time that I'd heard this term because it was about 10 years ago. And I was sort of had a read through the forum. Like there wasn't even really many pages that were created specifically around depression and anxiety. Unlike now, you know, there's Beyond Blue and there's so much stuff. So I had a little bit of a read through the forum And it kind of only exacerbated my anxiety because I think I remember reading that it never goes away. Um, It's something that you'll have forever, all this sort of stuff. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, like, what is going on with me? Um, And feeling really embarrassed that I was even feeling this stuff because I was thinking, oh, my God, something's wrong with me. So because I didn't know how to deal with it, I tried ignoring it. Um, just hoping that it would go away and distracting myself from it um, by partying, drinking, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Fast forwarding to maybe oh, four or five years later and entering the workplace, it would the way that the anxiety then manifested was in shakiness, so shaky hands. Um, I just have intense fear of being called upon to speak in a meeting because I would often get just complete mind blanks. Like my brain would just be so flooded with adrenaline that it would be really hard for me to be able to think clearly. So I'd be super scared of people calling on me to speak in a meeting without having prepared anything, uh, blushing. So often going pink in the cheeks and generally just, feeling in a fairly constant state of mild panic and fear and how I was managing it through managing it at the time was intense exercise so yep exercise definitely helps it wasn't the cure-all but it would you know help all those endorphins become released and help get a bit of that energy that excess energy out And also alcohol. Alcohol was kind of my savior at the time because it just took that edge off for me. And it made me feel like I could be normal in inverted commas. And that was all I knew back then to be able to help with it. Apart from that, I just pretend like I didn't have it and hope that it would go away. And it probably wasn't. The one thing that wasn't so helpful as well at the time is that I was working in a workplace where, which the environment was like a super masculine environment, which was, which prided itself, which is very common for many workplaces, prided itself on, you know, being really strong and and, um, perfectionistic and competitive. It was all about winning. And because of my underlying Uh, thoughts and beliefs about needing to to be okay and to look okay this only fueled my anxiety and my fear of stuffing up and not not being okay not being perfect and so after a while it it just became too much so I realized it was really impacting my work it would take me ages to to hit send on an email because I would massively overthink things and I would try to make things perfect. So I'd try and make the the email just so perfect as a way to kind of protect myself from any criticism or, you know, just really wanting to avoid any sort of messing up. And it really like this epic adrenaline, because adrenaline just like floods your brain and makes you – because it's your fight and flight and it it takes all of your um energy away from your brain and into your limbs so i wasn't having the right energy in my mind helping me make decisions and i I was just thinking really cloud cloudily or i had a big cloud (laughs) in my mind and yeah i was it was i was having a lot of trouble making decisions and taking action and As you might imagine, it was bloody exhausting trying every day to look like everything was okay, you know, that that I was fine, that I was strong, that it was all good. I could get this work done, Um, particularly, you know, in the environment where it's all about productivity, I was feeling this real, real pressure to be productive when really I had this, you know, inner battle and inner turmoil going on. And because of this consistent, constant battle of trying to look okay when I wasn't okay, I would get so tired because I'd be using all of my energy on trying to look okay. And, and really I just had no idea what was going wrong with me and I was too scared and too ashamed to speak up. And so I beat myself up on the inside for, for not being stronger like, Emma, what's wrong with you? Why, why aren't you, why aren't you like everyone else? You know, what's, what's going on? The only release that I would get to experience was on the weekend when I would get to drink and party with my friends. It was like the only time that I felt like I got a real break. The only time that I felt like I I could kind of actually, I don't know, like let myself run free let myself be myself and it was the only time that i really felt free from the anxiety but then oh so as as always is the other side of the coin was then i would get a hangover which were just they were almost unendurable these hangovers because of all the chemicals like going on in your brain and um you know drinking and then having to deal with the repercussions the next day and so after dealing with this cycle for just too long I realized that it wasn't going away and I needed help and I really wanted to change things you know this wasn't a life that I wanted to live living in fear so I asked a friend for a good psych recommendation and started my journey of understanding what was going on with this psych and Gosh, yeah. As I said back then, I would easily say my anxiety, even though I was probably pretty good at hiding it. You know, some people probably, no doubt, picked up on it. Um, but generally, I was pretty good at hiding how I was feeling, uh, and I'd easily say it was up around a seven or an eight. And you know, now it's it sits at a one or a two. And life is really really beautiful and happy and calm and um, and just lovely. So I really want to share my tips that I have learnt in the process because I know that they can be helpful for you and I hope it fast tracks the journey for you as well. So here goes, uh, my top tips. So the first one, the one that has definitely been my secret superpower I don't know if I would have got through the last couple of years um, particularly with like two new babes and working in a in a busy like leadership development coaching role as well as running my own business as well as building a house and everything else if I didn't have this and that's meditation Meditation was something that I wanted to build a habit around for so many years. And for some reason, I just couldn't do it. And it took me a little while. And and one of the things that really helped me was having a motivation strong enough in the positive direction, like having a positive goal that was exciting enough for me that really helped me create a habit of meditation. The reason why it's so powerful is it gives your brain a break it gives your brain a break I like to think of it as um, <laughs> this is the analogy I give a lot of my clients is if you think of a snow globe and when you shake that snow globe up and all the little 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 snowflakes are going everywhere that's our brains most of the time there's like 70,000 different thoughts running around that kind of float from direct each direction to different directions um, a lot of them super unimportant like oh look There's a dog. There's a butterfly. That's a funny dog. Oh, I wonder where the collar came from. Oh, oh, look at the lady. I wonder where she lives. I wonder if she's a local, you know, like just so, so many stupid little um, mundane, unimportant thoughts. And that is the snow globe, like our minds just running around like the monkey mind, as I'm sure many of you have heard of. And what meditation does is it temporarily helps all of those little snowflakes fall to the ground so that you can experience and get to know your grounded inner core, which I like to call your your inner spirit or your soul or that inner sense of self that is that is bigger than you, that is the part of you that you can feel and that you know and that you sense every day. But when our minds are so full with fluttered thoughts, it's so hard for us to get to hear that inner core. That's what meditation can do. It just quiets those thoughts and you'll still have the occasional little snowflake like pop up. And that's all right because you can even start to see what each of the individual snowflakes are. When it's only one or two at a time, but when there's 40 snowflakes flying everywhere, first of all, it's just really unproductive and not helpful, but also you don't get that beautiful clarity of understanding what it is that's fueling all those flooded thoughts. So when they slowly start to settle to the ground, not only does it feel freaking amazing, you get this beautiful state of bliss and centeredness and Oh, just oh my gosh it's just like all all is right in the world like I could live in that state forever and I do feel like that state has now impacted a lot of my life like the difference between me being in a meditative state and me being in a normal state like a day-to-day living state they those two states have become quite merged like they're quite similar when I first started meditation I would notice the Biggest most radical difference because my mind would be like a really shaken up snow globe And then once the meditation had occurred, I would really experience all those snowflakes falling to the ground and it would be such an incredible difference These days I feel like only a few little snowflakes are floating around generally. So when I meditate I do notice a difference however that that difference has become more merged So these days I feel like I I get to live in a greater state of presence and appreciation, which I know meditation over the last couple of years has been to thank for that. And how this helps with anxiety is one, it helps you get awareness of what those different thoughts are that might be fueling the anxiety. So depending on whether you know CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, essentially that's all about our thoughts, driving our emotions and our emotions driving our behavior so if you can start to understand what those thoughts are that are going through your mind you know whether it's some self-sabotaging or self-destructive or self-limiting thoughts like you know I'm not good enough um who who cares about me what am I doing here I'm not smart enough um know no one likes me or whatever those um maybe negative thoughts might be which are obviously going to drive negative emotions right so if you can start to first of all get awareness of what those thoughts are and to write them down um, in a journal or you know put them in the notes section of your of your phone or even just speak them out loud and have a little giggle at how silly they are That's the first step is getting that awareness because then you can break the cycle. If you don't have clarity of thought as to what those thoughts are, then you can never break the cycle and then they have a hold on you. They have control over you. So that's when they continue to fuel the fear and the adrenaline and the anxiety. So that's the first thing is that meditation really helps with that. The second part is that Meditation just gives your brain a break so it can go into that deep healing, restorative state, and that's where you start to heal. That's where really, really great things start to happen to your body without you having to do anything. It's like a really beautiful, unconscious process. And if you fall into a nap, and just go with it <laughs> it's one of my favorite things most of the time I will want to fall into a nap but not always like sometimes I have a meditation and I just wake up buzzing or I, or I finish the meditation absolutely buzzing in a really positive way so that's my first one is just start the journey of meditation give it a little crack there's so many incredible apps out there And, you know, start small, start with one minute a day and then move into two minutes a day and bit by bit, just build that beautiful habit. And one of the things that I say to my clients is firstly, focus on building the habit, then focus on building the skill. So the habit is the most powerful part. And then once you feel like you've built the habit and you're you're just in the habit of meditating every day, then you can focus on trying to, you know, get good at in inverting commas, at meditation. Not that there is such a thing as being good at meditation, but a lot of people feel like they're doing meditation wrong, and all I want to say is. Don't even worry about whether you're doing it right or wrong. At first, just try and build the habit. Once the habit is there, then you'll naturally get better at it no matter what. And there is no right or wrong meditation. Just the process of doing it is always good, always good. So please, please do that. I can't emphasize it anymore. The other really cool thing about meditation is as I gave with the snow globe um, analogy, meditation helps you hear your inner voice it helps you hear that inner side to you which is the voice of intuition it's the voice of inner knowing it's the voice of your highest self it's the voice that knows where you need to go what you need to do and what's going to be best for you long term on your journey it's the voice of love it's the voice of everything beautiful and great in your life and in the world so the more that you can get access to that beautiful voice the more that you'll just find that your life starts to flow with ease and fun and just things just get better I can promise you that the other tip is so if we get into the chemicals of what's going on with anxiety so anxiety is adrenaline It's like epic, epic adrenaline, too much. It's like your body in fight or flight thinking that that saber-toothed tiger is about to come and get you. And anxiety is essentially like just intense fear. So one of the questions that I like to ask my clients is, if we know what we don't want, that being fear and anxiety, what do we want instead? What's the opposite of fear and anxiety and I want to throw that question to you what's the opposite of fear and anxiety if we were thinking of um, if we had a stick which was the spectrum of like negative 10 to positive 10 and zero sitting in the middle if fear and anxiety is negative 10 what's the opposite end of the stick what's at the positive ten, t- the positive 10 end and if you're anything like many people, you might say calm, calm, relaxation. And I would say you're on the right track. I would say calm and relaxation is at the zero point. It's at the neutral point. And it's definitely better <laughs> than anxiety. But if we were to look at the absolute opposite end, the opposite to fear is love. The opposite to fear is love. And I know this because in terms of how the body works, you can't feel both fear and love at the exact same time in terms of the hormones and the chemicals that are, that are released in the body. So fear is induced by adrenaline and love is induced by oxytocin. Or you know, chicken, chicken or the egg, whichever one you want to go with first. But essentially, love is a is a release of oxytocin, and fear is a release of adrenaline. Adrenaline and oxytocin can't be pumping through the body at the same time, and this was further uh, further understood during my labour. So one of the practices that they teach you in the Positive Birth Company course. Is that the more that you can keep yourself in a state of love and appreciation, the more that you keep that oxytocin going in your body, the more protective a factor it helps with your body in not feeling pain during labor so oxytocin is a protectant against pain and against fear and against anxiety so fear and anxiety only exacerbates pain whereas oxytocin takes that away so the more that you can keep yourself in a state of love which is really really similar in terms of us being in a state of appreciation and gratitude so practicing gratitude And being grateful for things. So whether you wake up in the morning and the first thing you do before you pick up your phone is think about three things that you're grateful for. That is something that will be really, really powerful for helping, helping break that anxiety response. And one thing I want to add there is that with gratitude and with practicing gratitude, it's not enough to just think of the things. It's not enough to just think Of whatever the things are that you're grateful for. You need to think of the thing. And then just hold that thing in your mind. For a couple of seconds. Until you actually feel the associated emotion of appreciation. So that's where you start to connect the mind in with the emotional body. That's where you actually start to feel the emotion of appreciation and love. And great gratitude for that thing. This is where I stuffed up for a long time. Like I would be listing all the things I was grateful for, but I was solely doing it at a cognitive level. Like I'd list, you know, oh, my husband, my mum, my dog, um, my kid, or whatever. And I wouldn't actually be feeling the feelings of gratitude. So that's the really important part with this process. So the more that you can feel love, there's even some some love meditations that you can do just by like Googling uh, on YouTube or um, downloading an, an app like Calm or Smiling Mind or whatever and focus on the ones that are about gratitude and love because because it's the opposite end of the spectrum to fear and anxiety, it'll block out that hormone which is really, really powerful. So you, so you wanna try and focus on what you want rather than what you don't want. And we do have this tendency to keep focusing on what we don't want. Like, I don't want fear and anxiety. I don't want fear and anxiety. We want to flip that so that we've got something for us to focus on. That being love. I want to feel love. I want to feel appreciation. I want to feel gratitude for this beautiful life that I've got. So that's my second tip is around just building those feelings of love. The second or the sorry, the third tip is about finding something to help motivate you, so trying to find a positive goal, finding something bigger than you, finding something bigger than your fear and anxiety, finding something bigger and more more exciting that can fuel you, that can motivate you. And I know that this was a real game changer for me. When I identified that I wanted to be a coach and realized that coaching was possible, and that the main thing that I needed to build as a skill was meditation in order to become the best coach that I possibly could. That was when the habit of anxiety, oh, the habit of meditation just became a habit naturally. So find a goal. Find something that just excites the living daylights out of you to be able to move towards. Because that becomes your anchor. That becomes your driver. That becomes your motivator. That is the thing that is going to help you stay on track. When you can't be effed meditating, you can come back to that vision. You can come back to that goal. You can come back to that thing, that cause, that motivator. And that will be the thing that keeps you going, that keeps you on track. I'm, I'm personally not a believer in, in trying to avoid negative goals, I'm more of someone who wants to give your brain a focus to focus on something positive that you can work towards because that's way more fun and it gives you something that you can actually look at and focus on rather than trying to avoid something that you don't want. That's a big one that I would recommend. And I've got lots of free resources that I'll, um, I'll pop in the show notes for this podcast to get you started on that. Tip number four is give your shame a voice. Now, this one is scary AF. <laughs> and I know this because of how I felt about it. So I know it's just going to be a journey. Of, of doing whatever feels comfortable for you right now but give your shame a voice whatever that thing is that you feel like is really shameful about you and that needs to be hidden that's not okay that's not good enough get that shame get that thing out because shame can't exist in the light shame is like mold it only grows in the dark And the damp confines within you. That's where it can grow. As soon as that shame is spoken out loud, as soon as that shame is brought into the light, that's where it starts to fade. That's where it becomes weaker. And that's where it starts to die. So whether it's speaking it out loud to a friend, to a family member, or going and seeing a psych like I did. Or I'll share that um, story in a little bit. Or even journaling it as a starting point. It is a really, really powerful way to start to start to take the power away of that shame. If it stays within you in the dark and in the damp like mold, it will only grow and it will only become toxic and it will start to create illness and it will start to manifest in different ways. So that's a big tip for me. Just start with a journal and I'll give you some tips on how to journal at the end. My other tip is around understanding what your story is that you're telling yourself about yourself. So what's the story that you're telling yourself about yourself around this anxiety? So a big one for me was that My story was that I must be happy all the time. I must be okay all the time. I can't not be okay. And I had some background stories around feelings are bad. Feelings should not be shown, particularly negative feelings. I can't not be okay. I must be perfect. I must be strong. I must look okay, always. Any negative feelings must be hidden. So, this was some of my stories that were fueling me, first of all, not speaking up about experiencing anxiety and also fueling it. But these stories need to come out. The emotions need to come out because emotions are energy in motion. If emotions are not felt, so if feelings are not felt, which is what feelings are, right? So, feelings we need to feel our feelings if they're not felt or they're not released you know through tears or words or whatever then they become bottled up inside of us and they become toxic and they only fuel whatever whatever story is going on for us and whatever emotion is going on so they'll only exacerbate the anxiety so that's a big one is understanding what's the story you're telling yourself about yourself and starting to challenge that story and if you're not sure what that story is I'll, I'll share some links in the show note below uh, because one of my programs mindset magic actually helps you identify what that story is so one of the other tips I have and this is a really really powerful one and a really fun one is laughter laughter and not taking life so seriously And I am so lucky to have the best friends, the best family and the best husband in the world that just make me laugh. And my friends in particular, oh my gosh, they just have this beautiful superpower in making everything seem okay in the world. Like no matter what's going on, everything is okay. They're super vulnerable. You know, they share their stories. They're so authentic. And when, you know, when other people are vulnerable, it gives you permission to be vulnerable as well, right? Which is super, super powerful. And there's a couple in particular that have really helped me accept myself. You know, when I would share something vulnerable about myself, they would be the sort of people to be like, yeah, I totally get it. I'm like that too. And that really helped me realize that what I was going through was okay. It wasn't weird and it wasn't bad what i was experiencing was actually normal and that really helped drop that shame spiral that i was experiencing and started to dissolve that shame you know having a beautiful loving family and my hubby who was always really great at not trying to fix it who was just there who didn't let it become a big deal who helped me laugh about it who who listened And who was just my stable rock through all of it and helped me realize that it's not a big deal and it's all okay. So laughter, that's another one of my big tips. Now I want to talk about medication. So antidepressants are probably the big ones like SSRIs and all the other different types of antidepressants. And I want to say that I didn't choose to go down the medication route. I almost went on them at one particularly challenging point in my life with some yeah, some family and some work stuff going on. However, it's funny I actually can't really explain why but something something stopped me from going on them. And I'll elaborate on that in a, in a second, but essentially some of the background there is i had grown up with the story which was quite common back in our parents generation which said that the cause of mental illness is a chemical imbalance in the brain so it's a biological thing which then the argument then follows that drugs are going to be the answer to fix it right like if it's a chemical imbalance then the only thing that can fix a chemical imbalance in the brain is going to be another chemical. And I had grown up with this story and it was a really strong story in my mind. It was something that was really true for a lot of the people around me. But something told me that the anxiety that I was experiencing and what I was going through was more than that. That it wasn't just as simple as a chemical imbalance. And I, I had this belief that I could find another way and that I could move past what was happening to me in different ways and that I really wanted to understand it. I had a driving, yearning want to understand what was fueling these emotions in me. And I've always had a really strong respect and love for nature and doing things the natural way as much as possible. So something about meds just didn't sit right with me. The really tricky part about this old belief that is so ingrained in so many of our parents generation back in back in the day is that it's actually now super outdated that whole that whole research and that whole um, that whole piece of of fact and it's actually based on quite inaccurate research but the tricky thing is that if you believe that to be true if you believe that all mental illness is solely caused by your biology, i.e. a chemical imbalance in the brain, then it automatically follows that the only way that you can be fixed is through more chemicals like meds. And what the recent research is actually showing is that our programming and our conditioning and our societal environment plays an incredibly a oh, significant bigger picture to mental illness and mental conditions than what we ever realized. So if you're interested in some of that research, um, some of the doctors like Bruce Lipton and Gabor Mate, uh, they are two of the really, really interesting doctors. Um, lots of podcasts out about them as well. Uh, they say that it's more than 80% of the piece to the puzzle is our so the programming the conditioning the environmental part plays more than 80 percent of the puzzle towards mental illness Back in the day when I was studying psychology at uni, it used to be the other way around. They used to think that it was your genetics and your biology that was 80% of the cause of mental illness, and now it's flipped the other way. So Bruce, Dr. Bruce Lipton and Dr. Gabor Mate say that it's more than 80% environment, which is really awesome, right? Because what that says to me is that we have control and we have the power to be able to change mental illness or what's going on with us whereas if it's the other way around if the if the argument says that it's 80% genetics then what does that say we're doomed right I can't change my genetics so it's this real victim mentality and it and it tells you that you can't change what's going on for you but this research that's coming out that's showing that it's actually 80% environment 80% programming 80% our conditioning this says that we can then change what's going on for us we have the power to be able to change these mental mental um, vulnerabilities so that's a um, just a little side note that I wanted to add got on a little bit of a roll there so just to add to that. So I had a psych at the time. So I, this is another tip is go and talk to someone. 100%. I love psychs. I just think they're so fun. I've got lots of friends who are psychologists and I just love talking about the brain and development and all that sort of stuff. And I had a psych at the time who was awesome and I told her that when it came to medication that I just that there was just something I don't know, there was something deep inside of me that wouldn't let me do it. There was something that just felt wrong about it and it went against everything I believed in and I knew that I could get through this on my own. And I just want to say I have nothing against meds, um, people taking meds, and I think that they can be really helpful in certain circumstances when they're part of a holistic approach to healing. The only time that I disagree with them is when they are used as the one and only answer and that no other form of help is sought out to be able to manage what's going on for that person. Because the chemical side of mental illness, so the chemical side of anxiety, is just one element of it. We are very complex creatures. We have a mind, we have a body, and we have a soul. And the mind thinks thoughts and thoughts impact how we feel. The body deals with things like energy and emotion and chemicals. And the soul, you know, that deep, deep inner core, that deep inner knowing that part of us, that the soul notices, that's like the consciousness behind the mind. The soul really is our consciousness. That soul notices what thoughts the mind thinks. So you right now, you have the power to look into your mind's eye and observe what thoughts are going through your mind, right? So, that watcher, that awareness behind the mind, that's the soul, or well, that's what I call the soul anyway. It's that inner part of us, the inner strength, the inner knowing, the spirit, the, the peace that connects us to others. It's the peace that, you know, it just sends us little messages or gives us chills down our spine when. You know something beautiful and magic and incredible happens to us it's that thing that's so hard to put into words but which we all know we have right so that's the other piece that I wanted to encourage you is to go and talk to someone get it out heal your wounds remember that you're allowed to feel you're allowed to get it out everyone in the world has been through some sort of trauma in their life because trauma is just intense emotions right There is no fixed objective definition of trauma. Trauma is just an intense emotion to a situation that's impacted you in a negative way in a moment. And it's a normal reaction to a stressful event. And for it to be released, it needs to be talked about. It needs to be talked about in order for it to release its hold on you. So if you're not ready to go and talk to someone, start by journaling, start by talking to a friend, start with baby steps. And I know it can be so scary to even visit some of those emotions, but know that when you start to crack open that little wound and some of the pain might start coming out, the more that comes out the less pressure will be in there and it will get easier with time probably the first time you touch it will be the hardest god I'm just picturing like An analogy of like, oh no, I shouldn't say this out loud, but like a pus bubble. (laughs) So when you press it, yes, it's probably not going to feel very good, but you always need to get that pus bubble out, right? You can't just have pus like living on you. So I know that I've just given a totally bad analogy and that's going to probably just uh, live in your mind's eye for a little while there. But it is it is a bit like that, like that toxicity needs to get out. And the only way for you to be able to access that toxicity is by talking about it or by journaling in some sort of little baby ways. You do deserve it. You do deserve to get that toxicity out of you. That thing that might be fueling the fear, fueling the anxiety because you deserve it and your life deserves it. The two final little tips I wanted to say is know what your early warning signs of anxiety are so that you can turn that ship around quickly or early before it turns into a panic attack or an anxiety attack. So what are your early warning signs? Whether it's teeth grinding, whether it's snapping at your partner, whether it's drinking more, whether it's uh, not being able to sleep, whether it's um, like moving really quickly, like just not being able to stop moving, uh, whatever those early warning signs are, the quicker that you can know them, the easier it will be for you to turn that ship around before it's built up too much momentum. So you probably heard about you talk about the analogy with the car rolling down a hill in neutral. And if you wait until that car has hit the bottom of the hill, it's too late. You can't jump in front of that car and stop, <laughs> stop that car from just flying down. Whereas if you, if you stopped the car right at the top of the hill before it's built up any momentum, when it's just kind of like rolling really slowly, you can stop that train. So know what your early warning signs are. And an in-the-moment practice, an in-the-moment tip for you is called 2x breath. And Emily Fletcher is a really great meditation teacher to help with this. 2x breath is just called doubling your exhale. So timesing by two, whatever your inhale is to your exhale. So your exhale is the most powerful part of the breath because of how it activates the parasympathetic system in your body. And apparently research has shown that it's our exhale and the longer exhale, like the longer that you can do that exhale, the better, that activates the parasympathetic system. And apparently there's nothing else in the world, apart from drugs, (laughs) that activates the parasympathetic system in the same way than the two X breath does so that a long exhale. So an example is you breathe in for four. okay let's do this now. So one, two, three, four and I like to hold it in for four as well. So one, two, three, four, and then you breathe out for eight, so you're doubling it. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So one, two, three, four, breath in. One, two, three, four, hold. And then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, out. And if you do that six times, that is the magic number. So you can pick whatever numbers you want. You don't have to do four and eight. You can do three and six or you can do two and four. I really like doing probably somewhere around the four or the five mark, like doing five breaths in, holding for five and then 10 breaths out. But see what works for you. But that's called the 2X breath. So that's an in the moment technique that you can do. If you're feeling really anxious, you can nip into the toilet. You can do six breaths while you're peeing. Or whatever else you're doing in there. And that will really help start to activate that parasympathetic system, get you into a little bit more of a neutral headset. So, they're my big tips. They are the most powerful ones that I know, and I know that they will be helpful. What I wanna say is that it is a journey, and I want you to start small. Start with baby steps because baby steps turn into bigger steps, and then you get momentum, and then soon you'll be flying. So even if just today, the one baby step that you take is you get out a journal or you get out the notes section in your phone and start with this prompt. It's a really simple prompt. Start with the prompt, how do I feel right now? How do I feel right now? And just see what comes up. There's actually an emotions wheel which I'll pop in the links below an emotion emotions wheel there's a really good place to start with helping you identify this specific emotion to how you feel because research shows that us in the western world are not so good at describing how we feel turns out there is more than just two different emotions so there's more than just good and okay <laughs> you know how people ask how are you doing today and most of the times yeah i'm good i'm good So there's more than just good or okay as emotions. And it turns out the better that we get at identifying what specific emotion we feel, that that automatically helps release whatever that emotion is and is really, really healthy for our emotional management. So ask, so get out your phone and just try that journal prompt right now. How do I feel right now? And then the second one is what's making me feel this way? And see what comes up for you if you're feeling gutsy and courageous and strong and ready to take this to the next step the advanced class says a really powerful question to identify any of that toxic shame stuff that might be living within you a good question to ask yourself to journal on is what's that thing that you hope no one else ever finds out about you what's that thing that you kept keep swept under the carpet what's that thing that you sweep under the carpet journal on those two questions if you're up for it and whatever comes up place your hand on your heart just close your eyes and place your hand on your heart And whatever that thing that comes up out of that question is, say, I forgive you, I'm sorry, I love you, I accept you. I forgive you, I'm sorry, I love you, I accept you. I forgive you, I'm sorry, I love you, I accept you. I really hope that that helps. I know that it has been super powerful and transformational for me. If you're in the middle of some pretty intense anxiety, please know that it does get better and you do have the power to change it. You need to know this and you need to believe this because if you don't, then you won't even try. But I hope that I can be evidence that it does get better and you can get through this start with baby steps, pick one of the things that, that called out to you during this podcast that you want to give a go. And if that exercise that I just read out brings up too much for you, then it might be a good idea to chat to a psych. They are seriously the best. I love them. They are so interesting. They know so much cool stuff and they are only there to help you understand what's going on for you. I know it's scary, but they've only got your best interests at heart and I've got a heap of psych friends and God, they're just the most caring and awesome and amazing people and they will help you get better. I promise you deserve this and just know that whatever it is that might be fueling some of that fear and anxiety, whatever it is, it is okay and you are okay and it's okay if you're not okay. We're not okay all the time, and that's okay. But start that journey in some little way or form. I really hope that this was helpful. As as I said, again, I can't believe that I'm sharing this story, and I would love to hear some feedback. If you feel like this helped you or you got some little juicy piece of value or, or, or whatever from it, please leave me a review. Um, on Apple podcasts that would be really really helpful that's what actually helps get the word out about this stuff and I'm really passionate about helping people know that they can get better it is possible they're not stuck they're not stuck forever and that it's all going to be okay sending lots of love and light If you enjoyed this podcast episode and you want to dive deeper into some of the stuff that we talked about today, particularly around mindset and understanding and unpacking what your big life vision could be, what your purpose is, and also what might be holding you back in terms of fear and anxiety, I would encourage you to check out the link below to the Mindset Magic program. It has had incredible results with so many incredible people that have taken that that one and it's for anyone who knows that they've got big dreams but something seems to be getting in the way of them taking action towards them it'll give you a great sense of awareness as to what the hell is going on inside your mind so that you can then take the right steps forward enjoy